Welcome to Pathways to Hope and Healing, a podcast dedicated to sharing information, ideas, and resources about domestic abuse, sexual assault, child abuse, and elder abuse. The topics discussed in this podcast, including survivor stories, supportive services, and domestic abuse, sexual assault, child abuse, and elder abuse, can be difficult, and we urge you to listen with care. Our hosts are not licensed counselors or mental health professionals, but licensed counselors are available at the Nampa Family Justice Center. If you or someone you care about have experienced domestic abuse, sexual assault, child abuse, or elder abuse, please call the Nampa Family Justice Center at 208-475-5700 or the National Domestic Violence Hotline at 1-800-799-7233. You can also find more resources in the description of this podcast. Welcome to Pathways to Hope and Healing. I'm Corey Michaels, along with retired detective and president of the Nampa Family Justice Foundation, my dear friend, Angela Weeks. Hi, Corey. How are you today? You know what? Uh, wonderful. Uh, we've been, uh, you know, experiencing the the winter months now here in our beautiful state and you know, always warms my heart to be able to come in here and have our, our time to be able to remind people that there is hope, there is healing, that people are not alone in your experience. And with the Nampa Family Justice Center, a full team is available to you to be able, and exactly is that to be cheerleaders, to be whatever it is that that you need going through your trauma, through your situation, but you're not alone. Yeah. Come alongside people wherever they're at in their experience and to help them with, you know, where they're at with the resources we can in one location um, it is absolutely what we do and do well at the Justice Center. So. Very, very well now for um, many, many years and continuing to grow and continuing to evolve services and and making sure that, I mean, right now, I think the biggest problem is getting a, a bigger building and, you know, more area to be able to take care of uh, to women, children, men that yep. uh, that are experiencing trauma and are now more and more reaching out to get that help. Absolutely. Yep. All right. Well, now you want to introduce our guest today? I do. You know, it's, it's, I want to tell you how I met our guest. I was actually um, teaching a class for the International Family Justice Center Conference, and I was talking about kind of just an initial response um, to sexual assault cases. And this woman, um, Michelle walked up to me after the class and she thanked me, which I was, I was very humbled by. I was, I was humbled by that, but she shared with me her incredible experience and what she had gone through. And we continued to connect over a period of, I don't even know how many years, Michelle, it's been now. Um, and just like if we were um, going to be at a conference, we would get together for dinner. Um, if she was coming to Idaho, um, we would we would get together and she got to meet my family. Um, as her area in Noblesville, Indiana was considering the Family Justice Center movement, we worked together on that. So, Michelle welcome. Oh, thank you so much. What an honor and a privilege it is to be here with you guys today. So thank you. So Michelle, do you remember that day we met? I do. I, you know, I never asked you this, so I'm going to ask you now, what inspired you to come up and talk to me? Uh, Your passion 
and your passion to make a change in response to victims of crime and abuse. And so that's, that's what inspired me to talk to you. And I had to know you <laughs> and I had to get that passion and pull from it. And you, because your um, willingness and really drive to make that change for victims is what really, and I wanted it. I wanted to know how can I do this with law enforcement and first responders, you know, to really um, make that change. And I believe that, you know, I have a huge passion for law enforcement and I know they've, they go through a lot and have been through a lot recently, but just this huge drive to get to know what they do, how we can work together more in, um, you know, responding to these crimes in particular sexual assault for me. Absolutely. And that's actually something that's very personal for you. And I learned that that day. And as I have continued uh, to get to know you and we've continued to grow in our friendship, um, I, you know, and then I had the opportunity to read your book that you actually uh, published, your book found that you published about your experience. But that's really kind of what I wanted to talk to you about today is your personal drive to make a difference in this work, because there is a personal story behind that for you. Yes, yes, it is. Yes. And has definitely um, just going through it and then working in, in victim services has changed my life. And I, I mean, so many more good things have happened to me out of this than bad. And that's what I hope for every single survivor is that they can see the good out of it. And it is so true. Like I'm connected to you. And I, I even recognize you in my acknowledgement. That's how much of a difference you made in my life. So thank you for that. Um, thank you for being part of my story. But it, it was going through it and going through those darkest days of my life that really gave me the drive again, that drive to um, really figure out what first responders, how they respond and how are we communicating with each other um, as a team, really. that's I, I love the Family Justice Center that you have um, been part of developing because I really believe that that's where what we need to be is we need to work as a team because each one of those first responders has contacts with the survivor. Um, I don't mind the word victim, but I know a lot of people would prefer survivor. So I'll just go with survivor um, that, um, you know, and how we respond to survivors makes a whole, I mean, a huge difference in the way it promotes healing. It can either really slow it down. It can halt it. It can, it can not even want them to heal or get through it uh, because they don't want to recognize it because you're in denial. And I was all of those things, I can tell you. And, you know, the way I was treated by some of the first responders, I didn't understand it. As time went on, I thought, oh, my gosh. But then I got the opportunity to really recognize, learn about what their roles are in the journey of, you know, um, working with survivors so and what their roles are and that made all the difference in the world so that's where I really started um, after I went through you know the darkest days of my life was um, working in victim services and I got the opportunity to do that and that's where I really started to grow and heal and um, that's where this book came from when I had my first a few of my first speaking engagements, my first speaking engagement was just with a really small group and I was very hesitant, but I thought I could check this off my list and be done. Right. Okay. So I did this and it was a group of 10 
and it was all women. They were invited to come and learn more about, um, you know, what how we work with uh, survivors of crime. And I got to share a little bit of my story and my role in that. And it was amazing how many in that room were affected. Yeah. By, and these were professional women that, you know, were in our community just coming to learn more about victim services. And so from that, I got asked to speak again and again. And what really empowered me and um, inspired me to continue was when I spoke at a college. And this college, we were only expecting 80 students and 400 people showed up. It was people from 19 years of age to 80 something. Cause I know I talked to an, a woman who was um, over 80. <laughs> Excuse me, sorry. And afterwards, after I spoke, I, I was there for two additional hours because people were sharing their stories with me. And that's what continued to inspire me to speak out about it. And that's what continued me to, you know, so many people said, you need to write a book, you need to write a book. And I thought, you know, maybe I do. Cause how can I, my goal then was how can I touch as many people as I can? Right. Because it was a book that inspired me to realize that I was not going crazy and that all of these things that I was experiencing, because I didn't think life could go on ever for me. And reading a book, uh, somebody who spoke, um, you know, about their, what happened to them, their sexual assault really did inspire me to write a book and to even go deeper and go through the darkest moments of my life because I think being for real makes all the difference in the world and it gives um, a really uh, respect and dignity to those who have gone through it because if we're not telling the truth and being for real and, and sharing the most intimate details of it, then I'm not, I'm not doing what I need to do to reach people and to, again, give them dig dignity and respect and, and the healing just the healing power to go through that and, and really the, the permission, you know, I didn't feel like I had a lot of permission to feel, mm -hmm. you know, emotional because it's embarrassing sometimes. Like I, I remember when I was saved, I began crying hysterically. Um, I always uh, link it to um, Tom Hanks in, um, in the movie. Um, oh my goodness about pirates and I'll think about it I'll remember it in a minute but when he was saved um it's such a powerful um you know moment um when you're saved out of that and the emotions that you go through so anyway I'm I'm kind of rambling on but you know that's what the book uh and I, I would love to read why I wrote it a little segment in my book, if, if I may. Absolutely. Um, I share my story for one reason, that others might understand what is possible. I understand feeling alone and helpless. I felt like I would never be happy or safe again, but feelings don't tell us the truth about the future. I couldn't have predicted the horror I would face as a result of that attack, nor could I have predicted the beautiful life that was able to grow out of the ugliest circumstances imaginable. And let me tell you, I could have never dreamed that I would have ever been sitting here today talking with you, Angela and Corey about this. I wanted to just dig, dig it down deep, put it in a hole and forget about it and deny that it happened and go on with my life. And it took me a long time to realize that that was never going to happen. It took me a long time to realize that you really have to go through it 
because I tried going over and under and around it. And it was actually going through it that I could begin to heal and going through that pain and that grief and just that fear and that denial and that anger and all of those other feelings that I mentioned in my book that are so, um, they take over your life. And this assault took over my life. It was my life. I lived and breathed it. And I realized that sometimes I had to do that in order to go through it and feel that grief and sorrow and cry and realize that my life that I had was gone. And that was really hard to do to grieve that life because I wanted it back. You know, I think, um, often I'll hear people make comments like I, I don't want to talk about it anymore. I want to pretend like this never happened. I just want to forget about it. And while all of those, I, I absolutely understand people saying that to reach hope and healing beyond their incident. So that isn't what continues to revisit them and identify them and become who they are is exactly what you're talking to. Exactly. And one thing that I realized in all of this was, you know, like I did, I tried every other way of healing and I did a lot of therapy. And for me, healing was um, writing in a journal, my thoughts, because I, you know, had a couple of people that I was talking to that, that they said they would be there for me. And I did, I picked two people that would be there for me no matter what. And I think that was good instead of spreading it all out was just having those two people. But I realized they probably are getting sick of me talking about it. So I journaled a lot, which was so healing because I could at three in the morning, I was journaling my thoughts, you know, and and just putting everything on paper. But what I realized as I read the healing really started to progress along and it didn't come without a price because it was really difficult to get through. But I realized, and as I began to speaking about speaking about it, that, you know, it's when you're taking those steps back, because I would wake up and go, okay, you know what, my life is going to be, I'm going to live this day, and it's going to be the best day, and I'm going to make it the best. And let me tell you, it would collapse in front of me. And I'm like, why is this happening? And I can't really explain it. It's just the way it was, whether I was in fear, or I was scared of something, or something made me mad. Um, I can't explain that. But in those days, when I was taking steps backward, I was really taking steps forward because those backward steps needed to be taken in order to take steps forward. So what I realized is maybe I felt like I was taking a thousand steps back, but the next week, all of a sudden I had a great day and I took that thousand steps forward plus five or whatever, you know? So it wasn't until I kind of came out on the other side that I realized that. So I really talk about that, um, especially when I present that this is what's happening and it's okay to step. As a matter of fact, it's good to take those steps back because that's when you're really going through the healing. And I think that that's hard to really realize, but I, I really want survivors to know that that happens and it's okay. So Corey, I had another really, um, interesting experience with Michelle as well. Um, Unfortunately, um, I worked with a victim out of the Nampa Family Justice Center in our community who experienced um, a horrific stranger assault as well, uh, sexual assault. And so stranger sexual assaults um, are a lot rarer than our, uh, most of our sexual assaults are people that they know, they trust, they've been, you know, maybe acquaintances with. Um, But um, 
my victim had had a very rare um, stranger sexual assault, um, and Michelle's had been a stranger sexual assault. Um, and I remember my victim, uh, we were doing a lot of work with her. She was coming in for counseling, but um, we were getting ready to come up to trial, and Michelle was coming out, I believe at the time, to talk to the Idaho Prosecutors Association and agreed to have dinner with um, the my victim of my case at that time. Again, to let her know she was not alone and just to share um, hope. Right. Um, do you remember? Do you remember that dinner, Michelle? Oh, my gosh. Yes, I do. Absolutely. I will never forget it. Yes. Yeah. And, amazing. And you know when, what you're talking about when you learn to talk to people and to help other people, that's what you did for her that night. Um, well, I believe she did the same for me. There's just a connection when you're talking, even when you know and you meet them, there's this instant connection that you get it. You know, you like understand where you are, where you've been, or what you're going through. It, it is it's an instant connection. So she did the same for me. Very empowering. Yeah, it was uh, to watch um, the two of them interact together um, and just to share um, just a little bit of, I mean, they didn't, they didn't have to go into the details of what had happened for right. them to have a, a way to relate to each other and to support each other. Um, and I don't even think, I want to say that wasn't even a month or two before the trial actually went here, um, where her Mm -hmm. offender was sentenced or he was convicted and sentenced the longest sentence I've ever had life without parole. He'll never, ever, he doesn't even have the option of it. Um, but, um, it was amazing to go through that. And, you know, I remember also talking to Michelle about the relationship that, you know, we try to be really professional. You know, we've talked about vicarious trauma. You know, and and I and I consider myself very professional, but there were there were times that I had, um, you know, felt I wish I could have done more. You know, you, you develop this relationship in certain cases with the victims you're working with, and I know Michelle that you, you're the officer that saved you, the the experience and the relationship you guys have. Um, can you talk a little bit about art? Yes, absolutely. I love to talk about art. Are you kidding me? Um, yes. So just to, just to break it down for the listeners, I was abducted from my home um, by three men with handguns and, um, you know, lived through a night of horror. And um, you can imagine what happened. But I was actually found um, by an off-duty detective, Detective Arthur Billingsley of the Fort Wayne Police Department, Um, he actually found me and saved me out of the trunk of my car. So my book is called Found. He happened to, and this is where our law enforcement just wow me. He actually went home um, from an investigation case, and it was 1030 at night. And usually he would go back out and drive around. He was a single guy, and he just loved to you know, if people were closing, you know, late at night when he got off and he got to know some the restaurants because he'd go and eat or something. And um, this particular night he went home and he felt this nudge when he pulled up, you know, hey, you got to go back out. And he said, I'm not going back out. I'm too tired. Felt another nudge. And he goes, I'm not going back out. I'm really exhausted tonight. And that third nudge, he got back in his car and he had a decision to make, whether he turned right or he turned left. He listened to his gut and he turned right. 
he came upon a um, back street to a restaurant and he saw two guys in the back of this restaurant in Fort Wayne, Indiana. And, you know, it, they could have been locking up. So he had an unmarked car and he was driving down the street and he thought, okay, well, you know, I'm here in case they need help or support, or is this something I should be suspicious about? Well, they took off running and they took off running to my car that was parked in a wooded lot. And he saw the light go on in my car and he saw the, the car in, in the wooded lot. And that's when the suspicion came on. Okay. Something's not right. Obviously they ran from him and that night he was able to catch one of the guys that stayed back at my car with me while I was in the trunk of my car. And I was actually unconscious because I, I had a pretty severe head trauma and just the trauma that I experienced from their, um, you know, repeatedly raping me. So I um, actually came to when I heard Detective Billingsley's voice and I took the chance to kick on the trunk of my car. And that's when he was able to save me, you know, save my life. Otherwise, I don't think the outcome would have been that positive. And he he um, was, you know, uh, everybody commented and called him a hero that night. And he wanted to make sure that I didn't think that he was a hero because he didn't get to me soon enough. But he did. I didn't, my, I didn't lose my life that night. I lost my life in that garage. But now, look at me. I have the opportunity to... Um, make an impact with the, the worst thing, one of the worst things that has happened in my life. And I honor all law enforcement and, and I mean, and especially him. He is my hero. And September 12th, every year when I met him, I get him a hero gift and we talk on the phone or we get together. And we've been able to speak together and do some work together. But he is a very humble person. And, um, I can't imagine my life without him. And actually, you know, I was 32 at the time of my assault. And, you know, at 32, when you're 30, you think your life is over. And I thought, Oh my gosh, I'm never going to amount to anything. And let me tell you, that's when, you know, you don't want to live your life. I mean, survivors suffer so many things from addiction to, um, post-traumatic stress, um, disorder to, uh, suicide, you know, attempting suicide or suicidal thoughts, um, taking drugs, you know, anything to hide that pain, to get that pain away. Um, and that's where I feel like people like Art and those first responders have that power and control in the palm of their hand to change that direction with them at the very onset of speaking with them, whether it's just sitting. And I think the biggest thing for me that I needed was I just needed to sit and I needed somebody just to let me feel safe and breathe. And they were so caught up in catching the other two guys that they didn't think about that. So I still haven't given straightforward answers to the detectives that sat in front of me, you know, before I got staples in my head and before I went on for a forensic exam, I still haven't told them my story. I, I couldn't, it just wasn't, I, I wasn't capable. I also learned from that, um, I, I'm expounding a little bit more, but I also learned from that, that now the thought kind of left me, but, oh, how... When I was asked those questions, how I couldn't put things into sequence, mm -hmm. because as I began speaking and then got the the photos from the crime scene, and I used some of those in my presentation, uh, it's very telling because how I still share my story is how I remember it. But the crime scene photos show differently, that I actually got inside of my house 
And I said that it happened. I didn't even get the key in the door and open the door. And you can, the, the crime scene obviously is on the inside of the house. So, you know, that's very telling when we, um, especially for me, as I started working with survivors and first responders that, you know, we always, we don't believe them sometimes because, well, that's not really the way it happened, Mm -hmm. but how can they remember how it happened in the trauma? Absolutely. So, you know, so many telling moments in, in my story uh, about that, but yeah, art um, is, it's just such a blast to celebrate life. So our son is named after Detective Arthur Billingsley, and he's so proud and, you know, loves it that he's named after a detective. But I could have never, ever, ever imagined having kids. I mean, and I'm blessed with two. So I would would encourage you, this isn't to sell books, but if you are a first responder or you are a survivor, um, I encourage you to, it's a very quick read. I know that you would get something out of it. you know, that will help you in your journey, wherever you are. I couldn't agree with her more than listening to her say that. So I had the chance to read her book. Um, But I think before it was actually published, um, um, and when I was reading through it, um, knowing, um, you know, what Michelle had been through, I I just kept thinking, look at all these avenues of hope. Look at all of these things look at all of these avenues of healing that came out of tragedy, um, which is really what I want our listeners to know. You know that that's who comes in our doors at the Justice Center, Michelle, people who are in trauma, people who are feeling hopeless, people who are feeling like they can't go on. And um, reading your book, um, I think, tells the message that absolutely, there is hope. There is light. Um, and I, I think it's good for anybody to see and to hear from the survivor's perspective because um, it's important that we understand trauma. And we're actually, you know, one of our podcasts will, you know, focus on that actually is the trauma that somebody actually experiences and why sometimes we don't believe victims uh, when we're functioning in our prefrontal think logical thinking brain. Um, but I love that your book shares that through it. Well, and all of the links are right here in the description. So um, Michelle's uh, social media, the website, links to be able to get the book and to to find out more. And we encourage you to please reach out, look at that information, read the book, and, and hopefully that will help to bring you some solace and start your journey or continue your journey, maybe whatever the case may be to healing. And Michelle, we thank you so much for taking the time, sharing, sharing some of your story and just reminding everyone that there is hope and there is healing. Thank you. I appreciate this opportunity so much. And most of all, I appreciate that you are trying to reach as many people as possible to really make a change and to provide hope and healing because this is it. I really, really appreciate you and have lots of gratitude um, for what you're doing. So I also just want to say, you know, it might, there's some darkness in my book, but it's also a love story. So it's kind of a, a... yeah. Yeah. I it's love, all over the I place. I love reading so. that part. <laughs> and I love reading so about your kids. 
Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Angela. My gosh, what an honor it is to be together again. And I can only hope that we can be in person again someday. Soon, so, hopefully. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Take care, my friend. Okay, you guys. Take care, my friend, too. Thank you so much. All right. Take care, Michelle. Thank you. And please, uh, you know, click on the links, all the information down below and the information always uh, for the National Helpline, for the Nampa Family Justice Helpline and ways that you can be able to reach out and start that journey. And I hope you join us here in a couple of weeks as we continue down our pathway to hope and healing. Thank you for listening to this episode of Pathways to Hope and Healing. Again, if you or someone you know have experienced domestic abuse, sexual assault, child abuse, and elder abuse, please call the National Domestic Violence Hotline at 1-800-799-7233 or the Nampa Family Justice Center at 208-475-5700. Search the Nampa Family Justice Center on Facebook and Instagram for more conversations. If you have suggestions for topics you would like us to cover or get more information about anything you heard in today's episode, contact us through the email at fjc at cityofnampa.us.